Welcome friends. I hope uh, many of you are online. Greetings from Anshuman Tiwari and on your show Manage Better. So as I said, my name is Anshuman Tiwari and this is the 46th of the show. Most of them live. And as you know, what I do is that I try and bring coaches, consultants, authors, influencers who have a message to share, who have a story to share, who can help all of us get better, who can share through their life stories, share how we can get better. Uh, today is one such day uh, and I've been waiting for this day for some time and hopefully the guests have also been waiting. Thank you very much for those who have joined on LinkedIn and YouTube. Two, three quick reminders before we get deeper into the show. Those who are new to the show, it's important to know that all these shows are recorded and available on the same link. So if you use the link to come to the show, please use the same link for the recording. You can watch the recording later on. Advantage in the recording is, apart from, of course, you know, learning again is that you can watch it at a higher speed. The live one, we cannot watch it at a higher speed. So you are stuck with my speed. The other advantage, of course, is that you can share the same link with others. So that is one. Second, more, more important is that it takes a lot of effort to bring top quality guests to you all. So I would totally love if you go to my YouTube channel and subscribe for future shows. And of course, you can get access to previous shows or archive. And if you prefer LinkedIn, please don't forget to follow me. Or if you have a question, connect with me so that I can keep you posted on future shows. Okay. So with that, I will bring in my guest in a bit. But before that, let me introduce her. So we, our guest today is somebody from Indonesia. And it's not just somebody. She is one of the most popular influencers on LinkedIn in Indonesia. She is currently the Chief Operating Officer of IDH, which is a sustainable trade initiative. Uh, originally from the Netherlands, but very, very wide, popular and big in uh, Indonesia. And she is the operations head or chief operating officer there. She's earlier worked with McKinsey, Rabobank and HSBC, which I have also worked. So we are in a way both alumni of the HSBC network. A little bit more about her. Uh, very recently, she has become a, a columnist for the for Indonesia primary or maybe only English newspaper, the Jakarta Post. And her specialization, of course, is around business strategy, transformation and implementation, which is pretty much my area as well. But much beyond that, which is not my area, is research, consultancy, advisory, product management, business development and setting up businesses and integrating. So as head of the IDH initiative in Indonesia, she, of course, is able to bring all of this together. But that's not the reason why she's here. The reason she's here is that, like me, Aninta, I'll welcome you in a bit, but I, what I wanted to share with the audience is that, like me, Aninta shares a passion for coaching mid-career professionals. And we both believe that mid-career is where people make or break it. And if we can help people in that space, that would be awesome. So with that, welcome and welcome to the show. And good afternoon for you and Salamat Pagi. Salamat Pagi for everybody in India and good afternoon for everybody in Indonesia and anywhere in between. Thank you so much, Anshuman, for inviting me to this session. And I would also like to say thank you for the LinkedIn Creator Program. Because otherwise, I would not make it to the 46th episode and I might be still in your waiting list for some time. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you've been on the list. Only my laziness that I have not been able to invite you. 
but so happy that we have finally made it today. So, so glad to see you here. Any opening comments or anything that you wanted to share about your work or anything before we get into the questions? Yeah, well, I'm happy to, you know, discuss anything people would like me to highlight, you know, but I'm also, I'm also thrilled that, you know, I thought as well as that we both have great hair. <laughs> so hard similarities, okay. Um, other than that, you know, I'm open to, you know, like, address any concern that you have mostly you know like mostly it's about mid-career you know like questions you know, because i spent a lot of time in mid-career okay. i know how it was being there i survived it okay and perhaps that's why i am eager to share you know how i survived it okay because i know it's not easy with that we'll jump into the questions one area uh, which I wanted to explore of, uh, with you is that our jobs are very different. You know, for you, of course, work, and though we have had some background in financial services, but we are completely different fields now. But the passion that we share is to help mid-career professionals. My question would be, how did you discover this passion for mid-career or coaching or mentoring mid-career professionals? You know, everybody has some story around that. So what is your story around discovering this passion? Well, it will be interesting for you to know that it is actually a survival story. Okay, so as dramatic as a sound, I used to be a single fighter. You know, I was a perfectionist. I know I was smarter. And so I kind of dislike working with other people unless they are up to my standard. You know, like I believe some of my mentees are in this show. You know, they can testify, you know, like how tough I am as a mentor especially as a boss, you know, like my colleagues, for example. But the aha moment actually happened in, in my previous work in HSBC. You know, you've been there, you know, and you know how it was with the bank. Okay. Around the year of 2009, HSBC bought a local bank in Indonesia, and then we had to do some transfer knowledge, of which we had to train like hundreds of customer service from the local bank to use our system. Yeah. Now, I, I was already a pretty good trainer at that time, like not technically, but uh, like I know how to manage training, you know, like learning and development curriculum and that kind of thing, you know, like, but still, you know, like to manage hundreds of people going through a training, system training, you know, in a very short period of time required more than just an Anindita, okay. as smart as she was. So I had to, I did not have a choice, you know, I had to train some of my team members to do that training, you know, how to manage a classroom, how to manage curriculum, you know, how to handle people who do not speak English, for example, because our system is in English. Then I realized, you know, that, you know, like, you no, know, we manage it, you know, well, we manage it better, you know, <laughs> we manage it because, you know, like there were a few of us to do it. You know, like, and that was like, you know, that, that realization that I did not collapse, you know, like I almost collapsed actually at that time, you know, I actually wrote that in one of my LinkedIn stories, you know, that I had to go to massage Pablo just to sleep for two hours in between training. Okay. The reason I didn't die, you know, in that, in that merger and acquisition process was because, you know, I had a team and I taught them, you know, like I developed them to be, well, you know. 
let's just say mini me. Okay. That's how it started, you know. So I knew that if I could be a good mentor, you know, like I could achieve much, much more, you know, that what I could achieve by myself. Uh, what was your story, by the way? Fascinating, actually. I'm so glad that you stayed vulnerable and, and are able to share this story because in most places, I realize that the self-discovery process is actually out of a place of a pain or a painful experience, right? So it is our response to the pain that we get in life, what makes us stronger. You know, when we get everything easy or there is some overflowing joy, we actually don't learn. We learn only in places of pain or suffering or difficulty or obstacles and it comes out in your story as well. My story, not as painful. I started working in 1994 till about 2007 or 8. I was a individual contributor. So I was like a consultant. I had nobody reporting to me, even though I was working with people, but I did not have a team as such. And then I had one person and then two and then a little bit more. And in 2010, I had about 15 people reporting to me, which was about 16, 17 years after I started working. So, which is quite unusual because most people would have some people reporting to them as they grow. And I had this crisis moment because I had to reinvent my method. My method was very individualistic. I had to now become a team manager. And in that process, I discovered that I had a little bit of a natural ability to manage a team. Maybe it was discovery, self-awareness, and people told me feedback. And then I started building on that, that we, we can get better through this. And then it has been a brick by brick compounding kind of a journey where I started working on my strength and realized only last three, four years that there are a lot of, there is a lot of help for early career professionals. There is a lot of help for senior professionals. There is not much help available for the mid-career professional. And that is where uh, actually most of the problem is, right? So when you're an entry level, you know, you have this programs, you know, just for you. And when you yep. are a C-level, you have this leadership coaching. and so. But the sandwich layer, right? You know, like it's a big, you know, like island by itself, you know, like where would you get your development? Unless you're pretty proactive about it. Yeah. And, and just to continue that self-discovery path, I discovered this because when I was in middle management and I'm in many ways still in middle management, but for the most part, I used to think that also, couldn't somebody give me this in, input or coaching or can I get to learn something? Can I speak to somebody who's gone through this? So now that I have moved away from that or moved a little senior, I'm trying to become the person that I wanted when I was in middle management so that I can, I can share and, and help people when I can. And that's all life is about, you know, we, we keep growing by helping and sharing. Whatever I know about you and having read your stories yeah, and to all the people in the audience, I must tell you, I can't reveal Anita's email address, but her email address includes the word story. So that's how passionate she is about storytelling, which you will discover in the next half an hour or so. So good start. We built the show as a mid-career blues show. One of the mid-career blues, of course, we discussed is that we don't realize that we need help in a mid-career thing. And you and I, through our stories, have just shared that if we realize, if we are self-aware that we need that help, there is help available. So we can still go out and seek that help. But getting a little bit more specific about some mid-career blues, one of the areas that people struggle, and I do coach uh, a lot of mid-career people, hundreds by now. One of the 
pain points is inertia. So people are happy with doing what they're doing and weeks become months and months become years. And before they realize five years have gone, they have neither added any skill set. They have neither grown in their role. Of course, then salaries are not growing and, you know, in general, they are not happy. But the root cause is inertia that they, you know, stay on in that state of motion from a physics point of view and are unable to break that or even realize that they are in a state of inertia. And all of us have been through that. So I, I'm not including or blaming somebody else. But you have grown out of that. You are now very senior. Anything to talk about how can we recognize this inertia and what can we do about it? You know, I was never in inertia. Never. Okay. I know that our jobs are pretty much routine. You know, like maybe 10% excitement. But the definition of a job is not an adventure, right? So a large part of it is indeed routine, business as usual. It's kind of boring, okay? And it is supposed to be that way. I mean, I like it that way. Can you imagine how, how a job is if, you know, every single second of the day is a roller coaster, right? We don't want that, okay? So I think the first thing is to realize that most most of the time, indeed, our job is routine, onboarding. Okay. Now, and that is good. Okay. That is just life. That's the reality. Okay. Now, what to do like when you are bored? Or maybe you don't know that it is boring. Okay. And this is a part where I wake you up like, hey, you know, like there's a large part of your career that is actually spent in idle sort of. And what, what do you want to do about it? Now, Knowing this, I built excitement into my job and that can be a lot of things. I can share what I did, you know, but not necessarily you have to follow this formula, right? I did double head a lot. So somebody resigning, it takes like three months to replace him. I'll take over that responsibility temporarily. Okay. What's the worst that I, what's that, the worst that can happen, right? Okay. First of all, it's temporary, you know, like, I don't think I will mess up, you know, like, Anything in three, three, three months. Okay. Nothing big. Yeah. It's pretty controlled environment. Okay. I learned a lot. You know, people cannot expect too much out of me. Hey, I am monitoring here. You know, I'm helping, you know, don't give me that shit. Right. You know, I'm, I'm just a PIC, right. You know, and, but throughout, you know, that this kind of learning, okay, I actually get exposure to a lot of things and I learned a lot of things. And later I realized when I was in management consultant, when I was in McKinsey, this is actually the method that was used to train the business analysts, the, the first entries in the, in the firm. They were rotated, you know, to different projects by design every three months. So if you are, a, you know, an accounting graduate, they deliberately put you in oil and gas project. And then after that, it could be, you know, a pulp oil project, you know, like the kind of fast learning because you are doing the job is enormous. Now, you can actually do it in a safe environment. Okay, don't tell me you complain about not getting more salary. Getting more salary for doing anything temporary is, I think it's, it's, it's a crybaby, okay? So, <laughs> you know, the higher salary will wait for you after you get your skill, okay? But this is, consider this as a free school, okay? Now, but 
that's my method. And uh, it's not for everybody. I don't know. You know, like maybe, maybe you do something else on Schumann, you know, maybe you do something more exciting than double hatting. <laughs> no, actually, actually not. You know, I was, when I was asking this question and I thought that if you throw this question back at me, my answer would be pretty similar because over my career also, and when I've, uh, I've been coaching people as well, I do tell people that when the company offers you an opportunity to learn and grow, they, they are actually already paying you. Of course, if, if it is not for too long, right? Because then too long becomes a strain on your mental, physical health and other things. But if it is a short-term duration, like you said, a temporary thing, please jump for that role. I have seen so many candidates, including myself, who got there, who moved up the chain because we had already proved my, our, our metal in some other roles. If we keep waiting for that deal, that I will do this if you do this, company will always find somebody else for that role. There will always be people who will volunteer. There will always be people like Anintha and myself who will double at and or volunteer. And you will miss your chance. So please don't wait for that deal, particularly in populous countries like Indonesia and India, where for every job, there are many more people than there should be, right? So if you were in some other, I would say, corporate culture or, or countries or geographies, maybe there is a shortage of or a supply issue and you can actually wait for that deal. But not in countries where there is enough supply. And I'm not saying this to demean or to, to compare cultures or compare geographies. It is just the reality that we face. Right? So take reality as it is. Don't have to judge the reality. And this is an extremely useful tip from Anita. And I can vouch for it that if you get opportunities to double hat or put up your hand for some extra project and say that, oh, I, I can do this, I can help out. Provided you can, please try. Because that will put you in the limelight. That will give you an opportunity and you will get. Some of my best roles came because I put up my hand for something extra which was a short-term thing, and then something else happened because of that, including something very simple. Several years ago, I volunteered for conducting the in-house, within the function awards, so the awards ceremony. Now, this is a thankless job. You arrange so many things. You, it's an event. It's a qualification process. It's a lot of things. But because of that opportunity, I got the limelight to speak to the CEO of Infosys at that time, to the board members of Infosys. They asked me, what are you doing? Other than this, and as a result, I got to lead one of the key programs later on because they already knew me and had seen my organization skills in something totally unrelated. So me conducting and arranging an event, which was a voluntary activity, had nothing to do with my actual work. But I got an opportunity because that opportunity gave me the opportunity to meet very senior people. And that's the way you break inertia. May not be exactly the same for you, but like Anindra said, volunteer, do more things, double hat, don't wait for a deal and take the opportunities that come to you. Otherwise, inertia is very self-consuming. You will remain in inertia. By definition, in physics also, inertia doesn't break till another force is applied on the same moving object or non-moving object. Hey, Anshuman, are you talking about Mr. Narayanan, you know, the CEO of Infosys? That time, oh, CEO. Uh, the one. Yeah, the Nandan, Nandan Nilikini was the CEO that time. Okay, so, you know, and I didn't know this, you know, I mean, like when I met you, but I was a big fan of both of them in my, in my early career, 
you know, that was a long time ago, right? You know, but I was a big, big fan about Naira Yarani. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, <laughs> wow. I envy you. <laughs> no, I, and just to continue that story, the meeting with Mr. Nilekani Nandan happened in a escalator or elevator, as it said. So, it oh, was only three. Elevator pitch. I got actually an elevator pitch opportunity, right? Many people use it figuratively. But in my case, it was actually an elevator pitch because we were both in the elevator, only the two of us. And it was only three, three floors, so less than 30 seconds. And, and he asked me, so what are you doing these days? And I had already rehearsed, prepared that speech many times in my mind that in case Nandan meets me somewhere in the cafeteria, somewhere in the lab or something else, what will I say? So my pitch was actually ready and I calmed myself, delivered it. By the time third floor arrived, he left. Next thing I know, his office called me up to come and explain what I was doing. And I got a bigger program as a result. I'm sure everybody has these stories, but all we are, all we are sharing is that if you are not ready, if you are not prepared, inertia will stay. Inertia by nature stays. You know, it doesn't go away. The other mid-career blue is about this imposter syndrome. So it goes around by many names. Some people will call it other psychological names, but eventually it is a feeling that I'm not adequate. I'm not good enough. And somebody made a mistake by giving me this job and those kind of things. And imposter syndrome is usually connected to stress also and lack of confidence and other things. Of course, people use it in a positive way as well. But this is an identified mid-career blue that other than inertia, the feeling of imposter is a very strong mid-career blue. Anything you want to say or any ideas or help you can offer to our audience in terms of how they can overcome this imposter syndrome? You know, my experience has been the other way around. I actually met a lot of people who are overconfident. But imposter syndrome, there is something wrong about this. Like if you have a job, you know, a certain role, there must be people out there also externally and be the recruiter, manager, you know, management that feel that you are, you belong there. So if other people think that you are adequate, why don't you feel you are adequate? Or is there something else? I feel it's just in the head. Okay. But to fight what's in the head, right? You know, I feel that like you should actually take it out and validate. The first thing I think you should do if you feel that you are inadequate is just like go and read the job description of your role. Okay? It, it usually lists down all the things that you have to accomplish and just check it one by one. Like fulfill everything. Yeah. Not unless you are like adequate for that role and maybe what you should plan is actually development. So that you can be ready for the next role. But if you don't check like a lot of what is in your job description, now that's a time to to reflect. Get some feedback, get some guidance and and make an action plan. But also talk to people who can give you, you know, like straightforward feedback. You know, you don't need the sugar, right? Talk to some people who can, who can tell you candidly, like what they feel your issues are and like get their input on, on how to move forward. But, you know, like bottom line is, I think it should, you should get it out of your head. Okay. Make it real. Have it as a topic of conversation, you know, like do validation. That is, I've, I'm saying this because as you can probably guess, you know, I have a lot in my head. Okay. So the method that I usually do to, to, to cleanse my head is actually to get it out. 
to a piece of paper. That's why I write. Okay, uh, or to talk to people. Okay, but don't let it just you know like linger around. That, that would be my very pragmatic, you know, like feedback on it. What What do you you should tell your mentees? Uh, I come across this question quite a lot, and I initially I used to think that maybe it is you know something that people think about and they, it is not real. Then I had my own troubles with imposter syndrome, and I started feeling a few times in my own career I started feeling that. Maybe I'm in a job which I'm not good enough for, and and so on. And like always, I developed something called some of my own solution, and I am happy to share that solution. I use a term called success filter. So we are we got the job, like you said, Aninidpa, that we got the job because somebody else thought that we were good enough, right? So firstly, why am I thinking that I'm not good enough? Because somebody thought that we are good enough, and that should be okay. But Assuming that we are going through some psychological, I would say, turmoil where we think that we are not good enough, it is important to remind ourselves that it is some success that got us this job. So can we list down, like Anindada was listing, can we list down those successes and apply that filter to the current job? So what of those, what what made us successful in the last five years, ten years? Can some of those skill sets be brought to the current job? And for that, you need to know the job description, like Aninta said. So I use this concept of success filters with my mentees and, and say that, okay, next meeting, you make a list of the things that you were known for, why you think you got this job, and then we will apply those filters to the current job. It's quite quite easy, actually, because when people start writing down, they get their own answer. They actually don't need me after that. Again, you're not getting it out of your head, right? Yes. You have to be able to, you know, take a pen and, you know, I would strongly recommend that don't type it or anything. Just take a pen and a paper because when you start writing with a pen, your mind is using, you know, its faculties, your hand is using, if there is feedback, you feel the paper. You you actually, it may sound old school, but you actually... We are old. <laughs> we are both old, old school anyways. But that's, okay. that's how we become writers, I think, you know, like, you know, looking at your explanation, I bet you had a lot of things in your head or still, you know, that's why we are writers. You know, it's a method to, to reduce insanity in our head. <laughs> in every situation that we arrive at, and I read a lot of your writing and you always read what I write on LinkedIn. Oh, yes. <laughs> you are in the audience if you still don't follow us. So it is criminal that you don't follow us. You should follow uh, you? <laughs> and give us a try. We put in a lot of effort to write uh, what we write. And usually it is out of a feeling of service or help. And of course, it helps us also by writing. So those of you don't know or are not from the Indonesian Basha, you know, familiarity, Ibu is a, a common name for somebody, a senior lady. So Ibu, you will find that Ibu word very often here. And it totally symbolizes Ibu in this case. So the question, of course, is how would you identify when you are in this mid-career phenomena? Well, first of all, like mid-career is actually a very wide range, right? Anshuman, you know, like practically, you know, after you leave your entry level, you are in mid-career somehow. You know, it's the sandwich layer between the new joiner and the C-level or top management. So like you said, it can start at five years, but it can go up to 25 years and 30 years career. Actually, the longest, you know, like layer you will be in when you have a career, because 
you know, like how, how many years are you going to be considered entry level? A year or two? Okay. Year or then, two, maybe some, some job, maybe three years, five years. At okay. rest. After that, you are in mid-career and that mid-career yep. continues. And that is why our focus, you know, both of us actually try and help work with mid-career people because the challenges mid-career people face are very difficult and different because they are unable to even talk about it. Whereas when you are in early career, there is already a lot of help available from HR and other people. When you are senior, yeah. there is a lot of help available. But And sometimes if you get that senior, you may not need regular help also. But the mid one needs. How did you discover that you wanted to be a generalist? And how would you advise a mid-career professional to decide between generalist and specialist? Well, just like what Anshuman said before, you know, like oftentimes the growth time is the painful time. It's a result of pain. I think the spirit started, you know, like when I was in working in the U.S. And at that time, I realized that I was very vulnerable in terms of work permit, you know, because my company sponsors my work permit and they can kick me out anytime if they don't like me. Okay. Now, because I'm dependent on them, you know, they, they practically push all, you know, the things that they don't prefer to do to me. Right. So then, I have to, to be able to run around, you know, to do a lot of things. But then, you know, when I survived that phase, I realized that this is something that I could do, you know, like, because then, you know, like I, by that, I, I was already pretty elaborate knowing this and that, quite a bit of things. Okay. And the spirit of survival is always there, you know, like if I get quiet, you know, in this company, I can still apply to that company doing something else or doing this. If, you know, like my, my current boss doesn't like me, I can move to another department, you know, which job I can do, you know, like it's more like that. Okay. But being a generalist has a lot of downfalls as well, like challenges as well. So be careful. I've been asked a lot of questions like about deciding between a generalist and specialist. Okay. Now this is like a, like a one answer for all, like I'm sure, you know, this doesn't apply personally to everybody. In general, I would say, you know, to the extent you can be a specialist first. Okay. Because the understanding of generalist is actually not that you are able to do everything or, you know, lacking depth. Generalist is actually having specialist a few or one or two specialist skills and being able to build on top of that. Okay, so if you are a specialist, then you know that you add general skill on top of that. This could be project management, usually people, you know, management. Okay. So it's not that you decide, you know, like early in your career, I want to be a specialist or I want to be a generalist. A generalist is actually an addition to the specialist. Okay. In my case, you know, like I'm specializing in operations. I'm pretty sure not a lot of people are into operation. It's kind of boring job, you know, people think, you know, but because I am a generalist, you know, like I actually excel in using tools, using operation as tool of management. And that is the skill that is highly sought for, you know, like because a lot of people, when they specialize in operations, they, they do the tinkering, yeah, the, the routine stuff, but they don't actually enlarge themselves into the generalist role. So my suggestion is be a specialist first. Okay. There will be exceptions to this. We can discuss about it, but that will be my take. What do you think? You agree or not? I can give my own example. Not a very, I would say, 
glorious one, but still an example is that I also am known as a generalist and I can walk across fields. But my specialization is in quality management. I know that I have that at the core of my skill set is quality management and everything else is built upon that. And like Anintha said, general, j- the generalist category, they are able to connect the dots across various topics. They can see the pattern, they can see a landscape and they can connect various dots across subjects. Whereas a specialist is, of course, you know, deep into the subject and work within that subject. Both have their skill set. Don't force the choice on yourself. It will happen. It will happen as your career grows. If you force the choice, you will come to regret it later on because you will never know whether the other road was more with fruits or, you know, more gems and jewelry were there. So it is best to leave your career to decide your feedback, listen to feedback, what people say about you. Are you doing better in generalist positions? Are you doing better in specialist positions? And if you are a specialist, pretty much early career, you will realize because you will be very deep into one subject. And that's a reflection that you are a specialist or you want to be a specialist. How do you manage people who say yes when they think no? Why should I go beyond the... Why they say no? Okay. So instead of addressing the no, I address what's behind the no. Okay. So no, for example, they don't want to take the handover, okay? Sometimes, you know, you know, we feel that he's being hostile. He's being lazy. He doesn't want to take extra work, okay? But if I get to know what, why he's saying no, it could be because he's afraid, you know, like he doesn't know, you know, like what it takes to do the job or to, de- to take the handover. Okay, in this context, you know, like maybe... You know, he is scared, you know, that he will, it will reveal that actually he's not adequate, you know, for the job. A lot of things, you know, like I usually go beyond that, you know, to, to address that. I address that, you know, if you feel that you are not adequate for the job, okay, let's have that conversation. Let's validate. And indeed, if there are, you know, like ABC that, that is discrepancy, discrepant, you know, like in this case, I will talk to the boss and say like, this person needs further training on that. Okay. So always go beyond, you know, what is in the surface, you know, because human, human is a very, how should I say? Human is complex, but it is, but not unpredictable. Okay. So I hope that answering like your question, you know, like just DM me if you, if you want to have a conversation about that. Okay. So. I have one question which when I spoke to some people during researching this show, Anita, I had one question around particularly about women candidates. It's a good time to ask this question. So women applicants actually face a very mysterious lack of confidence and at least it is seen across it, right? So not, not everybody, but many women candidates face a, some kind of a lack of confidence as their career progresses. There is even research which says that more women candidates say no to the, to the job in their head and don't even go for the interview, whereas men candidates say yes before even reading the job description. So, of course, we are not here to solve this because, you know, we are nobody to solve this. But especially as a, as a woman and as somebody who's been coaching women candidates as well, how can you advise them on applying for higher roles and seeking higher roles and how can they prepare? Yeah, I'm sure and I'm 
glad you touched upon this subject. And I will go back to our conversation. First of all, you know, what is it in the head? Right. You know, like it's a lot in the head. I feel it. imposter syndrome. You know, I'm a woman. I don't deserve this job. And then also that question about saying no, you know, what's behind the no? Why? So what usually I do when I coach somebody, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm not going to say I'm a coach, you know, like I'm, I'm going to say I'm a mentor, you know, like, but it's just you know, like, go beyond, you know, the no. Okay. Go beyond, you know, like the imposter syndrome, you know, like what makes you feel that way? Validate, validate always. Like what's behind the no, you know, like, oh, because I'm, I'm afraid, like I have family then I wouldn't have time. We, I, I wouldn't have time for my family, but I, I take up the job it's, or maybe the feeling of, geez, you know, you know, that job is actually in a male dominated department. I don't feel comfortable. There are lots of things behind the surface of lacking confidence, saying no, okay, feeling inadequate. So what I do is I get validated. There was somebody coming to me about saying that I'm an old woman, you know, like, so I don't know whether I should take the job. And I was like, what is old? Okay. And then she said her age. Okay. What makes that age old? You know, like, uh, are you saying because you are, let's say, let's just say, are you saying because you are 40, then you cannot do this job or, or you are not, for example, healthy enough, you know, like uh, you don't have energy, you know, what is it? Okay. Now this enable an insight in me that says like confidence is not about being woman or man you know like but confidence is actually about being yourself and being able to solidly contribute or meaningfully contribute to the job so if you have that okay whether you are a woman or not you'll be confident because I've, I've been in that situation myself. I was the only woman in the room. It's like a, I, all the industry I work for are male dominated. Okay. So I was, it's, it's very often that I'm the only woman in the room. I'm even the smallest because I'm not, I don't, I'm not tall. Okay? And I'm, I'm just confident. Okay. Because I know like I can do the job. I can like solidly contribute to the role. But there were occasions where I was surrounded with women. You know, but I felt petrified, okay, because I knew, you know, like something, you know, like in there, you know, I, I doubt myself that I can do the job. Okay. I haven't really validated, you know, that I am able. Okay. And, and that is usually the source of the lack of confidence. So if you are eyeing for a job, like validate it, take it out from your head. Do the validation and then you, you'll see it's, it's a very, I think it's a very tangible exercise and you'll see whether out of the 10 area, you meet eight, you meet two, what you do with it. Okay. Just don't let it, you know, sit in your head. No, I, I, I'm glad you brought it up this way, Aninta, because like you said, it is in the head and there is enough research to comment that women do a lot of analysis in their mind before applying. All we are suggesting is that. Now that you know that this analysis is not required, please don't do too much analysis, right? So, of course, everybody should do some analysis. Don't do too much analysis and reject yourself. Let the other person reject. Don't reject yourself if you want to go. And the second point I would quickly add before I move to the next question and that is that as women candidate, and I have coached quite a few women candidates, 
you cannot say that you want that senior job and then you don't apply. So if you want that senior job, you will get it only when you apply. So you don't apply, you don't get the job. Too bad. So somebody will get it. Maybe some woman, maybe some guy. Somebody will get it. You will not get it. And you will later on telling a story to somebody else. Had I applied, I would have got that job easily. That had I applied, I would have got job easily has no meaning because you did not apply. If you don't apply, you don't get the job as simple as that. So my message to any women candidates whom I coach is that do a little bit analysis, but then go ahead and apply. Let the other person reject you if they have to. One more question. And which is around, so I'll give some context to this question because last week, same show, I spoke to another, you know, top coach on job search and his name is Anand, he's similar name, but out of India. And he is a mid-career job coach for many people. And we, as we were discussing, we realized that while he was sharing his tips, he also said that. There is, this is also one type of mid-career blue that people are unable to apply. They will keep thinking about it, but they are unable to apply for a job. And one thing, one other thing common between you and me is that we have switched some jobs. So we have not been with the same company for 25 years or 30 years. That happened because we made some choices, we applied and we were selected for a job, right? So anything you have to say about how to go about job search in, in mid-career. And since it is a mid-career blue, I would say how to go about job search during mid-career. Okay. If I can, if I can use like my life experience, you know, as a context into what I'm going to say is that like I've worked for 20 plus years. Okay. I think throughout those years, I applied for jobs, like applied, you know, like maybe three times. The rest were always referral. Okay. Had I, I it wasn't headhunted. I was rarely headhunted. It was most of the time referral. Okay. So I'm convinced that the key of like, I'm not going to say easy, but easier job search will be networking. Now, before you give me that horror look, oh no, okay, networking. Networking is not like that awkward moment in a room where you are attending a seminar full of people, strangers that you don't know. Networking is basically meeting people, okay? Meeting people is not always about like getting out there, you know, like what about people in your company? That's the easiest part, right? Have lunch with them, play soccer with them. I was a, I'm a morning riser, so I arrive in the office around seven. There will be either a re-riser, we get coffee together, like I get referral from them. Okay. And then also, you know, like it doesn't have to be physical meeting either. Like if you like writing, like Anshuman and I, you know, we write in LinkedIn. In fact, that's how I get to meet Anshuman. Can you believe it? You know, like, like, how, like, how would I actually get, but make time for it. It doesn't have to be so conscious. I have to collect, you know, like business cards, just have fun. Okay. Now, while we are here, you know, like I'll tell you, why don't you network with me? Why don't you connect with me? Okay. And DM me. <laughs> I would say my rate of responding to DM is about 95%. The 5% are usually the weird people, you know, like, you know, wanting to sell crypto, you know, but I usually, you know, reply, it's not going to be immediate, but I usually reply to decent DMs, right? That's well said. And, and, you know, your point on networking is totally taken up. And of course, networking is one big component of job search. 
with that uh, we are almost at the end of the show ibu i will not let you go without your book recommendation or what are you currently reading and i know you read quite a lot so anything that you can suggest all right the honest answer to your question is that i'm reading this book it's a poetry oh. book okay? okay it's called love looks pretty on you okay. uh. now let me explain you know I, i'm sure this is some people quite a shock you know like anindita is reading this this book Okay, some of you actually read my LinkedIn posts. Okay, some of you read my column in the Jakarta Post. Some of you read my professional writing, my book, for example. In short, I write differently for different reasons for different audience. But my original writing is actually poetic. Okay, you can see it in snippets of LinkedIn. You know, like for example, the poetry that I wrote for my country. On the Independence Day, on the 17th of August, that's close to in Indian, also, right? Uh, like the 17th of August, I write a poetry for my country. So that is my original me, the the side that you don't see publicly. Okay? And so then I, you know, like my mentor actually, you know, like recommended this book because it it would help me go through certain experience. Okay, but if you ask me, like the kind of professional book that I read, you know, like I. I actually write re like reading human behavior book, and with that, you know, like it's, I think it's it's very predictable. You know that my favorite is Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, by Daniel Kahneman. Okay, I like along that theme. Okay, I like Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, and then there's another one which is like The Art of Thinking Clearly, but I don't remember the the writer. You know, you can find it in you know like in Google. Ralph so, Ralph uh, Dobelli Ralph Dobelli is the Ralph oh, yeah. yes. I'm reading the same book. No, no, but uh, are you sure we are not twins? On on books and all, you can't see my desk here, so I'm actually sitting in between books. So that's a passion again we share. So yeah, but thank you once again for recommend. You wanted to complete what I interrupted you. Sorry. No, no, no. You know, like I, I, I have a lot of compassion. I would say, you know, for for people that that feel lost in the corporate world, right? And they feel it's, it's such a bad thing. You know, like, but no, I think corporate world is not inherently bad. You know, life is not inherently bad. You know, like don't label it that way. You know, like I'm a keen observer of human behavior. You know, at work, and I would say it is possible. To have a fulfilling career, you know, while staying humane, while feeling not corrupted, or having to give up certain things or to sacrifice, it is possible. Okay, and if you question that, you know, like I would say, like, well, take a look at myself and Anshuman, right? You know, we are passionately talking about our career. Like, yes, it's an up and down. Certain certain things happen, you know, like, but in the long run, it is possible actually to be happy. In a corporate world, unlike what meeting, okay. If you still do not know uh, how to do that, well, PM Anshuman. Oh, okay, you can DM also. But he's the coach. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Ibu. We are up on time, and I like to end my sessions on time because uh, I like to respect your the time that you have given. So we will let you go. I think this show has been very useful for many people. So one request as we end the show. To everybody on the show, if you did like the show, of course, you know, make sure that you share what you are thinking about it on LinkedIn. Because the way the algorithm works is that if more people like and comment on something, 
it reach increases so we of course respect your sentiment but more people will be able to see it and that means that maybe it will get to somebody who needs it even more than you right so do that uh, little favor for us we don't get anything out of it but you may get some good karma out of oh, we can certainly joy that you know we we can help one more person and at at the stage of career that we are we are we are actually more interested in helping with that ibu thank you very much this took some time making it happen but i'm so glad that we could make it happen thank you once again and we'll let you go and thank you to my audience fantastic audience lovely questions today and see you next time bye bye thank you